Hello everyone, welcome back to another wonderful episode of From the Margins. I'm Violet. And I'm Connor. He is Connor. We are here with part three of our ongoing series talking about LGBT identity formation. And uh, we're recording this shortly after we just recorded episode two. And if you've not listened to that yet, I definitely recommend you go back and listen or else you're not going to be really having the context for where the opening of this episode is going to go. Uh, Connor, you talked about how you sometimes have the benefit of passing as a cishet person. Am I remembering that correctly? Right. I was saying how... In times where I don't feel safe fully inhabiting my bisexual identity, I have the privilege of passing as straight. And as I said that, it made me wonder, you, as somebody who is in the process of transitioning, could you even go back to passing as a cis man or would that only, like, damage you as you, like, suffer through dysphoria? Well, I have an answer for that. And the answer is, could I literally go back to passing as a cis guy? I actually don't even know. Because, like, purely even disregarding dysphoria for a minute, just in terms of appearance and physiological, like, indicators, I don't know if I could. Because I've been on HRT long enough that I can see in my face that I am definitely, infinitely more female than I am male. But not everybody else is going to see that. They're going to be like, wow, that person just has really good skin. (laughs) Which, granted, it has been much nicer. But as far as dysphoria goes, yes, I can't even really go places. I've been in positions in the past year or so where I've had to go to places entirely disguised as a male. I really can't explain what the feeling is, but because I just still have such a difficulty explaining dysphoria to people because it's so unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And I know that in the last episode, we con- we couched it as an idea of safety. Like there's a safety in being identified as a cisgendered man, even if you are experiencing dysphoria. It's not always exclusive to safety, though. I do want to point that out. Like, the few times that I really go out and have to pretend like I'm a guy. One of the reasons why is because wherever I'm going, I know there's not going to be a restroom that's gender neutral. And so if I want to be able to use the bathroom somewhere public, it's easier for me to pass as a guy still if I do my stuff up correctly and, like, actually make myself look male than it is for me to pass convincingly as a cisgender female. And I know you don't have to pass as a cisgender female to use a a female bathroom, but let me tell you, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina area long enough to know that the whole bathroom thing was not even on my radar until Charlotte brought it up. Like, I had never even considered it, and then it just became this big powder keg of nonsense out of Charlotte. And it scared me and embarrassed me because that was about the time I was really kind of starting to think about myself in a more grand sense of who I was and what my gender identity was. And for North Carolina to have this big concern about bathroom privileges, it really worried me because it meant that other people were out there thinking about this that were cisgendered and heterosexual, and I had not even thought about it, and I was one who was actually going to be affected by it. It it inspired a level of paranoia in me, and like, here's a perfect example. I went to, I recently went with friends to see Birds of Prey in theaters, and I went completely as female, completely wearing my makeup i was looking good that day um i was fucking rocking it and i was feeling myself um and i was just really happy and in the moment i was hanging out with friends until i drank too much soda and had to go use the bathroom and here's what i did connor here's what i fucking had to do to use the bathroom in this movie theater i left the theater during the movie i went to the concierge at the front of the thing and said hey do you have any gender neutral restrooms by chance and the woman really snoddly said no 
And I was like, okay, I don't appreciate the snoddliness. I didn't say that to her, but I was like, okay, well, thank you anyway. I went to the women's restroom, stood outside, tried to listen to see if I could hear if anybody was in there, or made sure nobody was in there. And when I was sure that there was like nobody inside, I went to the restroom and I just went in the stall. I used the restroom like a normal fucking person, all the while trying to hurry as fast as I physically can before somebody came in. Washed my hands, left all in like such a short, like, that was Olympic level speed that I did. And so went back to the theater. And again, I don't know what was wrong with my bladder this day, but I was really having to pee again. I just, I had free refills and I had too much soda. Later, I have to use the bathroom again during the movie. And I come back out. This time I hear people in the restroom and I'm like, oh God, no, 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 not right now, please. I'm missing the movie. I have to pee. I'm in pain. <laughs> and so, and there's no gender neutral, gender neutral restrooms. So what do I do? The men's restroom is quiet. The women's is full of people talking. So I like put my hair up and hit it. I usually wear like a beanie or some sort of hat. I put my hair up and hit it inside of the hat. And I like took my jacket and like put it where it hid my chest more. And I tried to fix my posture in a more slouchy way that made me look more masculine. And I went in really quick, did not make eye con contact so people couldn't see my eyeliner and my makeup and my like eyeshadow. Went into the stall, used the bathroom, came out, washed my hands really quickly, and left. The mental gymnastics of all of this, I was exhausted emotionally by the time this movie was over. I... And I, I'm sorry I've talked so long already and I haven't even got to the real proverbial meat and potatoes of the question, but that's what it's like when I have to pretend like I'm a dude in public. It's so non-affirming and it's such a big hurdle to actually have to be this way in public. And here's the ultimate. Here's the thing that whenever you ask the question came to mind first and foremost. I'm going to get real personal with our audience for a second, if that's okay. So half of my family knows that I'm transgender. The other half doesn't really know. Why does only half know? Because if I'm being honest, I love my family to death, but there's some of them I just really don't feel safe trusting. It's South Carolina. It's going to happen, but so only a couple of them really know, and from that, half of them know. I always knew that this is how it would come up too. I always knew this is how it would happen. I knew that one day I would be called back and told that there was a funeral happening in South Carolina and I would be asked to come. And in that moment, I would be like, what do I do? Do I go and be honest with myself and come out as transgender to the people that I don't know and present myself and go to the funeral? Or do I go and pretend to be my cisgendered masculine self, which doesn't exist, and then be dysphoric, and the people who do know be really fucking confused? And th it finally happened in January of this year, uh, just like two months ago. People who, um, the people who remember last episode will remember me talking about wrestling with uh, some of my cousins. I've actually, the two cousins I mentioned in the stories, I've lost both of them. And uh, the closer one to me in age, the one immediately above me, um, passed away. He's only a year older than me. He passed away in January. And they called me to come back to South Carolina and said, hey his funerals in January. We would love it if you could come. And I sat with that decision for so long because I imagined both scenarios of me going to the funeral. What happens when I walk into that funeral and I'm dressed completely feminine as I am and I have to like visually confirm to everybody I'm trans? What happens whenever I have to go dressed as a guy and the people who do know I'm trans are confused and worried and kind of weird and it seems to invalidate what I told them? I ultimately, despite him 
being the closest thing I've ever had in this lifetime to being a brother, I didn't go to the funeral. I didn't go back home. Because at the end of the day, regardless of which situation I chose, everybody's eyes were going to be on me. Or at least it felt like they were going to be on me. And that wasn't fair to him. That wasn't fair to his family. I didn't want to be the center of attention. This was his day. And I wasn't going to ruin it by any means. And I've not had an option to really even come to terms with his death. And I've not had an option to really reconcile it, and I would love to go back to South Carolina, and I want to go to his grave, and I want to just do my own thing and celebrate him however I need to to get it out of my system. But the idea that I can't go to my fucking cousin's funeral without somebody almost going to pitch a fit and being that afraid, that really fucking hurts. And so I am at a weird point where I can't really pass the cisgender anymore. I also just... The people who say to be true to yourself, you absolutely need to be true to yourself. But there are times where safety or some other considerations may supersede that, even if it hurts you. And so that's my answer to that real sort of question. I just, I don't really get those benefits anymore. And I'm not saying that I missed them. I just mean, I really wanted to say goodbye. And I didn't get that. So that's... That's my story. Sorry for it being so long. This was like a really long story. I don't think you need to apologize for telling a long story. That was very real, very vulnerable, and very honest. Thank you. You know, I thank you for sharing it. I offer you my maximum condolences. Thank you. Um, you mentioned that you didn't get to say goodbye. Would have would attending his funeral really have been a better experience than like coming to terms with it? remotely it wouldn't have been because i'm not a big ceremony person and i just i would have attended the funeral more so for his family because i know his family i love his family so much and they to this day are still having some problems with getting over it i mean not that you can ever really get over it that was a poor choice of words i mean but yeah it's been like four months like two months yeah and there's still like some real sharp divides that you can see that are like it's still hurting them every day and i don't know just to show people always like considered us siblings growing up like we just behaved that way we didn't see each other very often but when we did it was kind of like that natural reactions how people perceived it i mentioned in last episode there was still an emotional disconnect to some degree but apparently that was not really visible um emotional in terms of like i loved him to death and i want nothing but the world for him but in terms of being able to relate to him that was a different thing I would have liked to have gone gone just because it would have meant something to the family. And it's also because I'm having that option taken away from me against my own will was the part that really kind of hurt most. Because I wasn't not going because that's what I felt was right. I was not going because I was afraid of it taking focus away from him. And also me being at a point where I was going to be scrutinized in the middle of having to grieve for him. The way to move past it and to get that closure and to say goodbye, that would have helped me the most, is something that I do with everybody that's been close to me that's ever passed away. I would drive to his grave by myself. I would kneel down in the grass and I would just talk to him as if he were still there until I've said everything I needed to say. And that's how I say goodbye to people. Nobody with me, nobody around. I just say everything I need to as if we were having a conversation. And I just tell him everything I've ever thought and everything I wished for him and everything I will miss. And after saying that, that's how I say goodbye to people. So, yep. Well, I suppose <laughs> there's like some small comfort in knowing that your actual grieving and moving on process need not necessarily be impacted by your absence from his funeral. It's true. It still just sucked to have that taken away from me like as an option i understand that because again like 
I also was very much like, I was the emotionally resolute one of the family people saw me as. Like, I was the one who never got sad or angry or upset. I was generally a pretty solid figure, and people kind of looked to me for that. Even when I couldn't provide it, they still looked to me for it. And so there was a weird familial duty I felt that I was betraying by not going. I don't know. Well, at that point, it kind of sounds like you're prioritizing the feelings of others above yourself. Funny how it seems like that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) But yeah, I'm so sorry. I feel like I have taken this away from the LGBT conversation. Granted, it was a it was a relevant anecdote. I but... mean, no, like, that is the most tea experience I can imagine as a cis man. Fair, fair. Um, so, I've now that I've accidentally, moderately, not derailed the conversation, but because I've brought it to, a, like, a bit of a stopping point, how should we proceed? Because I know we had more we wanted to talk about. All right. Well, you did not stop it. You opened up the dialogue in a way that helps people understand what is truly at stake when a queer person begins to fully inhabit their identity, right? Mm -hmm. Your experience is more dramatic than one than I would ever have to face, probably. And yet... I feel like it is a valuable experience to share, especially for cisgendered heterosexual people who just think like, no, live your truth. I think you even said that, right? Like, live your truth, be proud in who you are. Right, right. Like, absolutely. It's great advice. And like, the idea behind it is so pure and true, like loving yourself and understanding that you are valuable. But sometimes man sometimes life will just throw these weird awkward things where you have to make a judgment call and it's not always as easy as that right it's rarely as easy as just live your truth right thank you for sharing your story violet thank you for listening both (laughs) you and the audience so moving back to i guess should we continue on with the cast model more right so yeah i guess that's the best way to move forward from that story i don't want to completely move away from it and treat it as if it was trivial because it's not no i understand like we might use some referential material as we go forward have we mined all of the key takeaways from it i mean i think so all right because the next step in the cast model those of you who are listening should have listened to part two already but we've moved through the first two stages identity confusion and identity comparison now we are on identity tolerance Mm -hmm. where the person comes to the understanding that they are not quote the only one where i don't know i guess that's something that like meant more in 1979 than now right where representation came at such a premium and maybe that's because in our private conversation we talked a lot about representation and perhaps that's where this episode will come to fruition is the idea that um i mentioned my parents in 2008 had not yet watched glee Mm -hmm. did not see a lot of like gay representation i don't think my parents have even seen bisexual representation at all what about freddie mercury (laughs) i mean (laughs) what about him he's bi yeah, but, like, do straight people even acknowledge that? No. Or do they just listen to Bohemian Rhapsody on repeat? They just listen to, you know, Radio Gaga and think, oh, yeah, he did die of AIDS, right? 
That's pretty much. We will, we will rock you. Anyway. Don't, don't. Uh, um, yeah, Freddie Mercury is bi. And he um, was born in Zanzibar, too. Yeah, he is a person of color. Exactly. So a lot of like your self-censorship and your inability to even understand what you were confronting truly did come from a lack of representation, right? Right. You mentioned the Jerry Springer episode that like you empathized with and yet seemed to deeply traumatize you. Yep, more than I give it credit. Yeah, and like I mentioned Glee, and really that was the first time that like the show that I watched with my parents dealt with homosexuality with Kurt Hummel. I think that's his last name. I only watch, we only watched the first two seasons because um, my family and I, we're very discerning and we understand what shows are quality and what shows are trash. And after season two, we realized Glee is no longer good. So we stopped watching it. That's fair. But um, I mean, yeah, Kurt was the gay character. He was very effeminate. It's probably internalized homophobia in myself, but I did not like Kurt. Interesting. Um, I really liked the, his dad, though. Like, his dad, who was so accepting and who was kind of like a redneck, but, like, did so much work to understand his son. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. I think his dad... Kurt's dad was my favorite character on the show. Gotcha. And then there was Blaine. What's that actor's name? I won't lie. I've never seen Glee. Uh, I'm going to Google it real quick because I, for some reason, cannot think of his name. Darren Chris. Yeah. So Darren Chris played Blaine on Glee and he was the romantic interest for Kurt. In season two, they had like the first major on-screen homosexual kiss and that was like i think that was like monumental for the culture back then Mm -hmm. um i was definitely into it as a closeted bisexual man boy child 10th grader (laughs) (laughs) whatever you would classify a 10th grader as (laughs) right so and i got to like share that moment with my family even though i didn't come out to them until like six years later i mean representation is important and that was that's the third step in the cast model is tolerance like i have these feelings inside of myself and i'm now beginning to recognize it in others in the rest of the world right in the first two stages you think it's all about you you think you're in like an abomination you think you're different Mm -hmm. but in this third stage of tolerance you begin to realize that you're not the only one you begin to realize how like normal and human this I hesitate to call it behavior because mm-hmm. that sounds clinical. Right. But like these inclinations, these orientations. This experience is. This experience, right. Like this experience, it's like a perfectly average human experience. Right. Outside of like the cissexist, heterosexist society. Right. Moving on to the fourth stage is acceptance where you like. You finally come to terms with, like, this is an identity that um, explains you. Violet, I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, Did I ever come out to you? I don't remember you coming out to me. But at the same time, 
I didn't know off the bat that you were bisexual, but I also don't remember ever a time where you were just like, oh yeah, I actually am. I do remember like just some, like I remember isolated incidents in our friendship where like um, you would just openly talk about guys and I just knew like you meant attracted, like where you were attracted to them. But I couldn't tell if that was before or after I confirmed. Like, I don't know. It just never felt like a thing we needed to say because we both knew. Right. That might be accurate because like the first year we lived together i had a girlfriend Mm -hmm. and i don't know like even though we moved in together we weren't like instantly best buds or anything right moving in together you and i not you and the girlfriend (laughs) right no i didn't (laughs) i i regret to inform everybody that i am not best buds with my ex-girlfriend oh that's sad i still really like her anyway i'm sorry was that a bad thing? No, that's right, not a bad thing. We're skipping ahead. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't dislike her. There we go. Anyway, let's not, let's not dig up that dead cool. horse. No, what strikes me about identity acceptance is like I was very label phobic mm-hmm. when I was a freshman in college. I did not want to identify as bisexual. Right. And I was even at the point where I was like creating different labels for myself because it's like my experience can't be distilled down to just i like men and women ah such an idealist such a little icon like such a little iconoclast i know i know i'm an individualist my sexuality can't be defined by your labels exactly and i mean a part of me still believes that like Labels only exist as handy indicators for communicating experience in shorthand for the consumption of others. Right. I hope that wasn't too, like, cerebral for our audience. I mean, I totally get it. Like, the problem with language is it never can fully encapsulate the idea that it even tries, it portends to, like, convey. So to even come up with terms for sexual, like inclinations almost suggest that there is one umbrella term for this one particular grouping so i understand the problem because no let no word is ever going to be perfect like a perfect descriptor for example again i am pansexual and i do find sexual attraction toward i mean there's really no barrier to say who i do versus don't aside from a case-by-case basis but it's still also not like equal across the board either so right I also think, like, maybe I had some internalized biphobia. Possibly. From my sister. It does sound, based on the way you described it, I can completely see that happening. At the same time, I mean, maybe it's an issue of representation where it's like, I didn't see bisexual men represented in a nice way. So I thought I couldn't possibly be among their number. So instead, I thought I was charting my own course. And I'm at the end of the day, I look back on my life and my experiences, and I'm like, yeah, bisexual is an adequate marker or indicator of what I look for in a person, but it doesn't adequately summarize the full depth of my experience growing up. Right. And encountering romantic partners. Do you think there is a better word in existence or do you think it's up to you to find out what? I mean, obviously you mentioned being label phobic. 
do you think there is a better word or do you think it is just so individual of a journey that it's better to leave it without any sort of confining label? Well, to go down this path would be to say that every individual person's sexuality is distinct. Which is fair. Which is fair. And it's like with the proliferation of labels, we suddenly realize how meaningless they are in the first place. So I choose to label myself as bisexual because that functions as an indicator to other people to let them know that I am attracted to people of different genders and of the same gender as me. Right. Connor, this may be too spicy of a question considering the topic. And it's also, I won't lie, it's a question that deviates from the cast model. So it does, like, it's an aside. I'll be honest with you. It's a little bit of a tangent. And if it goes down too far of a rabbit hole, we can pull it back. But do you find yourself attracted to people that are non-binary also? Or at least identify outside of the binary idea of gender? Yes. I mean, I don't have broad exposure to non-binary people that's fair we do we do run in different circles but i see no reason to suspect that i would not be attracted to them gotcha that was purely out of curiosity i won't lie right i don't use bi to refer to the binary male and female i use bi to reference homo which is the same gender and hetero which is different genders Gotcha. I think I understand. I mean, I do understand. Right. So with that, we talked about identity. We're on acceptance now, right? So right now we're talking about identity acceptance, where the person accepts themselves. I will be okay. They attach a positive connotation to their gay or lesbian identity. And that's the text from the Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can like impose trans identity or even bisexual identity into the same model i mean it's certainly familiar that's for sure like it still does in large part reflect my personal experience right so just as a reminder to the listeners the cast model was formed in 1979 by vivian cast and it really was meant to be about homosexual gay men and lesbians and how they come to terms with their identity Right. From the concept, from the very first notion of am I blank to synthesizing it as an identity. It's a way to sort of, like, it's a way of tracking and putting a chronology sort of of development from that initial identity formation into it becoming a part of who you are. Yes. Connor, do you remember any specific instances where you did have the sit down and talk and the I will be okay moment? That's where my experience is difficult to articulate because as I began to get into in the last episode, I never struggled with my sexuality in the same way. Like, I never sat down and thought like, homosexuality is a sin, it's inferior, it's degenerate, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I said this to you in a phone call or if I said this in the first episode, but my biggest struggle with being attracted to men was men won't be attracted back at me. I think that was the first episode, I think. Right. So like that was my big issue where it was like, I didn't care if I was like a deviant. I only cared that like there's not enough other deviants for me to be like practically satisfied with my dating pool. <laughs> A very introspective look at sexuality. What might be interesting is, do you have 
an anecdote from when you began to accept your trans identity. I actually really do, and it's kind of a cute story. Oh, good. A cute story. No more tragic ones. It actually... This is a happy story, I promise. Whenever I first started, like, coming to terms, I moved to Colorado when I, in 2016. Um, and I knew, like, from the moment I set foot in Colorado, I could breathe a little bit easier and start to ask those questions of myself. Like, it was not planned, but the timing was perfect. Like, I moved out on my own for a while in Colorado. Um, I was finally out of the Southeast, and I felt, even just from the cultural shift of it being different values out here, I could breathe a tiny bit easier and ask myself those questions. But, just because I could ask myself questions and finally explore this idea of gender identity didn't mean I accepted it immediately. I still fought against the idea of being trans for years. In 2017 or 18, I don't remember which, I was working at a movie theater in Denver and I was just a box office person and it was June and I remember like some people were coming in and they were wearing pride stuff and they were like we want to go see a movie and they bought tickets from me and I was engaged uh like in conversation with them and like I remember thinking that um I was like oh they're so happy and they're so like they're having such good fun and I just wanted to be out there with them and I I was pining for the acceptance of myself. I was pining to be with them in spirit. I was pining to be able to say that I also was proud or accepting of myself. And I wasn't at that time. And so during my lunch break that day, I went to my local store that I'm not going to name drop them because I don't want to give them the free publicity Hmm. for this. Also because commercialization of pride is a whole different thing in itself. But um, this store had a display that had a lot of pride gear on it, including they had like flags of all the like like different types for LGBT pride. And they had a transgender flag sitting there in the shelf. And at this point, I had already come to terms with the fact that I was transgender. I was just self-hating about it. Um, and I picked up that flag and let me tell you, if you'd not known what I was doing, you would think I was carrying like a brick of cocaine in my jacket because I was like so hella nervous. Um, in fact, I even asked like the people at the front of the store, I was like, where's your, where's your, um, do you have a pride section? And they were like, oh God, this person's over here. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's over here. Um, and so, yeah, I got the flag from there and I took it to the front and I self-checked out because I did not want anybody to see that I was buying it. I took that flag home. I left it in my car, finished my shift. When I took that flag home, I was living with somebody at the time who I was dating. And um, in my like sock and underwear drawer, I put it in the very bottom, still on its wrapper. And I like hid it at the bottom of my drawer like it was like contraband of some type. And I closed the drawer and I remember having the thought. I said, I don't want this flag. I don't want it. I don't like the fact that I had to buy it. But there's going to come a day where this flag's going to mean everything to me. And I am going to be so happy that I have it. It's not that day, but I'm buying it now for the future me who is going to be so happy I have it. And um, cut to a year later. In that year, I um, came out to myself fully and accepted myself fully. I finished the coming out process with the people close to me in my life. I moved out on my own, completely on my own. I started HRT. I was finally becoming myself. And um, I pulled that flag out of its drawer, still wrapped in plastic. And one of my best friends, who is a gender here in Denver, we went to Pride together. And 
and, and I told them the story of this flag. And we were at Pride in downtown Denver. And I opened it out of its packaging. And I unfurled it for the very first time. And I had them help me put it around my neck like a little cape. And I pinned it together and walked around the entire Pride with that on. And let me tell you... <laughs> I was losing my shit every step of the way because I was just like, I was so thankful for the past of me, but I was also so happy for the present me. And that was when I first felt acceptance. Violet. What? <laughs> that was the most symbolic, like metaphorical, like literary story. Your sun sign is obviously in cancer. <laughs> I mean, I think so. I don't know what that means because I'm still not an astrology person. <laughs> right. We're not getting into astrology. Also. Um, the flag in that story, it's currently on my wall in my room, and it has been and there ever since. And it's now just, it's the first thing you see when you walk in my room. Wow. So that was you accepting your trans identity. Absolutely. Man, I wish I had like a good story about me accepting my bisexual identity. I'm sorry. Honestly. I'm just a really, <laughs> I'm just a sensitive bitch. Honestly, I might still be like at that stage like figuring out how to accept that about myself like gotcha. probably not i mean my thing is like i never thought i wasn't going to be okay i guess there was like a part of me that was afraid that it, like i would be rejected by those close to me like my family wouldn't accept mm -hmm. me and they would be mad at me and there was all of that but at the end of the day I've always aspired to, like, liberate myself from my family. So even if they didn't accept right. me, I was going to be like, fine, whatever. <laughs> like, I wasn't even going to tell them unless they asked me or until I was, like, in love with a man and they had to know about it. So right. I don't know. Maybe that was my acceptance. Possibly. It's hard to say because it seems like you didn't really have the linear... Under, like it seems like your natural progression with your identity synthesis was not exactly in line with the cast model or at least it didn't have the same indicia that they say to look for. right i mean what i'm missing from my narrative is a sense of struggle a sense of like understanding where this queer identity fits into my experience navigating the world but also that might just be a failing of the model itself because i don't really like the idea which i don't like the idea of basing an identity model on the idea that one has to struggle with something in order to finally come to terms with it like i don't know it's just the idea of rooting an lgbt identity in the otherness of it and the compre and the the combating it it doesn't feel like it's really an appropriate way to go about it. And, and while a lot of people will struggle with it, it doesn't seem like that's a really good one-size-fits-all kind of shoe. Yeah. I think it needs to also be able to reflect... A good identity synthesis model needs to also be able to reflect those who don't really have the same, you know, uphill battle that some others right. do. Right. Because otherwise it seems to almost try to invalidate the identity itself when that's by no means true. I mean, it's... A theoretical framework that tries to paint in broad strokes the steps that That's specifically true. homosexual people go through using case studies from the 70s. So, right. And I, what I find astonishing is like maybe not my experience, but many gay people I do know went through these steps. And mm -hmm. even if I can't put a one-to-one -one corollary on my own 
I can look at others and think like, oh yeah, I was with you when you were confused. I was with you when you were compared. Well, I mean, I went through confusion and comparison probably. It's hard to tell because being bisexual, I always had an attraction to women to fall back on. So where I deviate Mm -hmm. from Vivian Cass's model is... I was never 100% outside of a heteronormative understanding. I just had to tack on an additional understanding of attraction. Ah, gotcha. I think I understand because it's like you never had to like thrust yourself into this new world of I'm now the other. Right. Whereas like a mono, like a singularly homosexual person could not even begin to or not be okay hold on let me start over like a gay man will probably Mm -hmm. never feel attraction to women and outside of like compulsory heterosexuality where he thinks he's being attracted to woman women because that's what he's seeing represented in media but at some point Mm -hmm. He's going to realize like, oh no, what I feel for men is completely different and that is powerful and that is something that is like pulling me ever much more strongly. And his journey will be different from mine where I've always been attracted to women. I just was also attracted to men. And for me, it was like fitting that additional binary attraction in. And now that I'm more adept in gender theory i understand a multiplicity of gender identities and none of those exclude somebody from my attraction but right right so i mean we should recognize and like i've tried to point this out but like this model is was meant for homosexuals homosexual people so Mm -hmm. so my acceptance will not be the same as a gay man or a lesbian woman my acceptance will be like okay i've been feeling this and i understand now that it is like asexual and romantic attraction to the same gender Mm -hmm. and what real okay so what really had to happen for me was my attraction to one gender does not discount my attraction to other genders right right like that is actually somewhere where i struggled where it's like wondering if i'm gay or if i'm bi it's like can i be both So that's where my acceptance, that's where my journey to acceptance comes from, where it's like, can I feel both? I've spent my, I've spent the first 21 years of my life exclusively exploring women. Am I allowed to exclusively explore men or will that just automatically turn me gay? You know? Right. I get what you mean. I was only laughing because the idea of somebody turning gay. It's like, it's like, hmm, if I pursue this guy, will I somehow catch the gay? Connor, we've really discussed some wonderful ideas here today, and I think this was a valuable episode three. But since we're using the cast model as a guide, and there's still some value to be left, there's still some value to be added from identity pride synthesis, I think it might be best if we do continue this on into a fourth episode. All right, everybody, look forward to the fourth episode where we discuss the fifth and sixth levels of the cast model identity pride 
An identity synthesis. And as somebody with a really bad lisp, the idea of identity synthesis is a really hard thing to say. Do you have a lisp? I've never noticed. I, I have a terrible lisp. If I'm not actively thinking about it and trying to correct it, I will just I will trip all over the goddamn planes. Aww. It's so bad. I mean, I don't have a lisp. <laughs> I have, like, really bad enunciation if I'm not paying attention. I don't think so. No, like, just like you, like, I never noticed your lisp. You never noticed my poor enunciation because I guess both of us are, like, paying attention when we're talking to each other. Oh, yay. But, like, I can talk really fast and just, like, slur my words together and, like, no one will know what I'm talking about. And this is how I'll talk if I'm not paying attention. Fair enough. And then I'll just, I'll just start going. (laughs) (laughs) Those are some aggressive waveforms. You. Well, in the meantime, I think we'll start cutting it there, and so that way we can move on to episode four. I'm so excited for you guys to hear the thrilling finale of this series. Thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. We really hit on the heavy shit more again today. Uh, but just remember, again, whether you're cis, hat, like, sorry, whether you're cis, <laughs> I completely, I was like, wait a minute, what are the other ones? <laughs> what, what is there outside of cisgendered and heterosexual? Like, that is See, the only experience that is valid. That is compulsory cishet behavior right there. The fact I forgot my own identity. (laughs) I Um, am compelled to love women only. I am compelled exclusively to do what I was assigned at birth. Um, But yeah, whether you're cishet, whether you're trans, whether you're non-binary, it does not matter what letter or no letter you have. The important thing is you're worth it. Your struggles are worth it. And we hope that we're helping you learn something today or we're helping you in some way. At the end of the day, if you get anything from this podcast, it should be that no matter how bad things get, it'll always get better and you will be all the stronger from it, just like us. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.